0: Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Wednesday, September 4th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, Warren adopts some of Inslee's climate policies, Booker, Castro, Harris, and Klobuchar all release their climate plans, what's going on inside the Federal Election Commission, yet another Republican House member from Texas announces his retirement, and the DNC announces a few details for the October debate. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up today, Senator Elizabeth Warren announced yesterday that she is adopting part of Washington Governor Jay Inslee's climate plan in her own climate plan. Now, longtime listeners will recognize this as one of my pet ideas the concept that if somebody else has a terrific policy, you could just say, yep, I'll do that one, and not go to all the trouble of writing up your own. Well, Warren has done that in part. In a post on Medium titled My Plan for 100% Clean Energy, Warren wrote, quote, As a presidential candidate, my friend, Governor Jay Inslee, challenged all Americans to confront the urgency of the climate crisis bearing down upon us. And Jay didn't merely sound the alarm or make vague promises. He provided bold, thoughtful, and detailed ideas for how to get us where we need to go, both by raising standards to address pollution and investing in the future of the American economy. While his presidential campaign may be over, his ideas should remain at the center of the agenda. One of the most important of these ideas is the urgent need to decarbonize key sectors of our economy. Today, I'm embracing that goal by committing to adopt and build on Governor Inslee's 10-year action plan to achieve 100% clean energy for America by decarbonizing our electricity, our vehicles, and our buildings. And I'm challenging every other candidate for president to do the same. End quote. Warren then goes on to make the point that she already has multiple plans that are part of her overall vision for tackling climate change. For instance, there's her Green Apollo Plan, which would invest in research and development for clean energy technology. And then you've got the Green Manufacturing Plan, which suggests, in part, that government entities should buy American-made green technology for its own use. And then, of course, various other plans she's proposed, like the Plan for Public Lands and the Green Marshall Plan, themselves include yet more pieces of this overall climate puzzle. The inclusion of this key part of the Inslee Plan is notable in part because it would have a visible effect on day-to-day life for Americans. It really is a big, visible change. For instance, this is the part of Inslee's plan that would essentially outlaw new gas stoves and ranges. So, you know, if you love cooking with gas, good luck with that if you're building a new house after 2030. The same is true for gas-powered cars. Those are no longer made by 2030. Inslee's plan is extremely aggressive in pushing toward electric cars, electric utilities, electric appliances, and so forth. This is all based on the premise that electricity can be made in many ways. But fossil fuels, like the kind you would burn on your gas stove, generally have to be extracted and then burned. Inslee's plan would also shut down all coal-burning power plants. So, there's a lot more in Warren's latest article, and it attempts to stitch together all the pieces of all of her various proposals. So, the inevitable question I always ask is, what would this cost, and how would the candidate pay for it? Well, adding the Inslee stuff, and this is just part of the Inslee plan, not the whole deal, would cost an additional $1 trillion over 10 years. Warren proposes to pay for that by, quote, Reversing Trump's tax cuts for the wealthiest individuals and giant corporations." end quote: "The rest of the funding for her climate plan is laid out in each of her other proposals." OK, look, we have a minor issue today, which is that a total of five major candidates just introduced their first climate plans, either today or yesterday." That Warren story was about an add-on to her existing stuff. Now, the show today would go on for quite a while if we kept going with a full story on every single plan. Clearly, this is happening because of the CNN climate event tonight. You can't head into that event without being able to point to an existing plan, even if you just announced it, you know, today. So here's the simplest breakdown I can figure out. Let's go in alphabetical order. I'm going to give some minor details and costs. And by the way, I'm going to have a very similar problem tomorrow, trying to summarize seven hours of television in 15 to 20 minutes. So you'll have to bear with me here and there as well. All right, let's get into it. Senator Cory Booker released his climate plan titled Cory's Plan to Address the Threat of Climate Change. It would cost $3 trillion over 10 years, Like some other plans, he would aim for total decarbonization of energy production by 2030 and a fully carbon-neutral U.S. economy by 2045. His plan is notable in part because it focuses heavily on communities of color and low-income communities. Mayor Pete Buttigieg released his climate plan titled Mobilizing America, Rising to the Climate Challenge. It would cost between $1.5 and $2 trillion over 10 years and resembles the Warren plan in many ways. It's also, frankly, the most detailed plan, aside from Warren's, that I saw released today, and it includes a lengthy white paper laying out the details. His plan is notable in part for a reliance on carbon capture, which is a complex thing to accomplish. We would need real research and development to create that technology, but he also intends to fund that R&D as part of the plan. And, like Warren, many of his other existing plans already have climate portions, so it all kind of ties together. Julian Castro released his climate plan titled People and Planet First. It would cost $10 trillion. The big focus there is on a carbon tax as well as planting trees around the world in an attempt at mass reforestation of the planet, plus the now-standard stuff about zero-emission vehicles by 2030, and so on. His plan is also focused on communities of color and low-income communities. Senator Kamala Harris released her climate plan titled A Climate Plan for the People. It would cost $10 trillion over 10 years and again echoes some of the themes we've just talked about, focusing on communities of color and low-income communities who are often most affected by climate change. She would emphasize clean drinking water, she would add federal regulations around fossil fuel companies, and move to zero-emission vehicles, though her dates are slightly different than others, with a focus on new heavy vehicles being zero-emission by 2030 and all vehicles by 2035. Those dates and some other plans are flipped around, but, you know, same general idea. And last up, Senator Amy Klobuchar released her climate plan titled, Senator Klobuchar's Plan to Tackle the Climate Crisis. That one would cost $1 trillion over 10 years and relies on a carbon tax plus raising corporate taxes to pay for it. That plan closely resembles the original Obama climate plan from some years back. That emphasized efficiency standards for cars and broad limits on emissions from power plants. Yeah, there's a lot more in her plan and honestly in all of these plans, but I'm trying to zip through these. There are many, many links in the show notes for more details. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. All right, next up, some news that began to break more than a week ago, but I haven't managed to cover until now. There is a big problem at the Federal Election Commission, or FEC. So first up, we need to talk about what the FEC specifically does. It is an independent agency that handles campaign finance issues for federal elections. It does things like audit campaigns, it handles the financial reporting for quarterly results, and it makes sure that campaigns are complying with federal regulations around elections and money. The FEC has six commissioners, all of whom are appointed by the president, and all of whom serve for six-year terms. Now, the law that established the FEC back in the 1970s made it so that a maximum of three commissioners out of the overall six can be from the same political party. Oh yeah, and one more crucial detail, you need to know that at least four commissioners have to be present at a given meeting in order to have a quorum. Quorum is a term meaning you have enough people to hold a meeting in the first place and also to make any new decisions. Quorum is super important. Okay, so what is the big news? Well, the six-member commission currently has three members. FEC Vice Chair Matt Peterson resigned on August 26th, and there were already two vacant seats, so now the FEC is down to just three members. That means it cannot meet. It cannot achieve a quorum. So it cannot do major parts of its actual job. For instance, without a quorum, it can't start a new audit. It can't make a new rule it can't issue a fine for somebody who broke an existing rule. And, you know, there's kind of a big election coming up. Oh yeah, and one more weird twist here is that the three remaining members have all been there longer than six years, but they're allowed to stick around even if their terms have expired as long as nobody else has been appointed and confirmed to replace them. Okay, so the obvious solution here would be for the president to simply nominate three more people, and that's currently something a lot of people are asking the president to do. The Senate would need to confirm these people, or at least, say, one of them, in order to restore the FEC to a minimally functional state. Well, guess what? The President has nominated somebody, but the Senate has not confirmed him. Reading from a New York Times story by Shane Goldmacher, quote, Mr. Trump did nominate James E. Traynor III, a Republican lawyer in Texas, to serve on the commission in late 2017, but Mr. Trainer has not been confirmed by the Senate. There has been a long tradition of presidents nominating, and the Senate confirming, Democratic and Republican commissioners simultaneously. With the resignation of Mr. Peterson, a Republican, the White House could call for Mr. Trainer to be confirmed without a Democratic counterpart. The commission cannot have more than three members of either political party, a balanced arrangement that has often led to gridlock. End quote. Right now, the remaining three include one Democrat, one Republican, and one Independent. Now, here's the good news. There has been some off-the-record discussion that the president is considering appointing an entirely new slate of six new people to replace the entire group. The Senate would still have to confirm them, but that would be a reasonable thing to do. Personally, I'm good with one, or two, or three, or six, really any number that allows a quorum. Oh, and by the way, the FEC, even without the quorum, can and does still report campaign income numbers. So, all those stories about fundraising, we're going to have more of those coming up in probably about two weeks. This morning, Representative Bill Flores announced he will not run again in 2020. That makes him the fifth Republican congressman from Texas to retire this year. That's kind of a lot, although these folks appear to be resigning for a mixture of reasons. Reading from a Politico story by Melanie Zanona, quote, Flores, who rode the 2010 Tea Party wave to Congress, is a former chairman of the Conservative Republican Study Committee and currently serves on the powerful House Energy and Commerce Committee. When I originally announced that I was running for Congress in 2009, I was firm in my commitment that I would run for six or fewer terms, Flores, 65, announced in a statement on Wednesday. After much prayer over the past few days and following conversations with my wife, Gina, during that time, I have decided that my current term will be my last. His solidly Republican district includes Waco and the northern Austin suburbs, and is home to two major universities, Texas A&M University and Baylor University. While Flores beat his Democratic opponent by 15 points last year, changing demographics in the state, and especially in the suburbs, have made a number of races in Texas more competitive. End quote. So, watch this space. I suspect Flores will not be the last of the Republicans from Texas who opt not to run again. Having said that, I really doubt that his district is actually going to flip. So just because people retire doesn't mean it's because they're about to lose re-election. In this case, it sure does seem like a guy making a simple decision about what to do during the rest of his career. And last up today, the DNC has announced the first information we've yet heard about the October debate, Rejoice. And they actually released it on Saturday. Oops. Uh, So yeah, I was asleep at the wheel all weekend in vacation mode, and I missed this yesterday, so you're not getting this hot news until today. On the bright side, the details are still pretty sketchy, so here's what we know. First up, all this info came in the form of a memo to campaigns, and Politico reporter Zach Montalero got his hands on it. According to the memo, the debate will be held on October 15th and maybe 16th, which are a Tuesday and Wednesday. And, just like the September debate, that second night will only happen if more than 10 candidates qualify. Okay, so quick note there. I do expect additional candidates to qualify beyond the field we'll see next week. But, there is a slim possibility that one or more already qualified candidates could drop out. Now, I doubt it, but, you know, it's possible. So either we will see the same 10-candidate setup, or we might end up with a two-night split and a new dynamic we've never seen yet in this primary, a debate with fewer than 10 people on stage at once. I would love to see that. Okay, so what else do we know? Well, the debate will be held in Ohio. Great, where in Ohio? No one knows, just Ohio in general. So cross your fingers, Ohioans, and hope that it's someplace close and you can grab a ticket. It's also unclear which media partner will air the debates on TV, but I suppose we'll find that out at some point soon, I hope. The most important thing we learned was the timing for polls to qualify for that October debate. As we've discussed in the show, candidates have until two weeks prior to the debate itself to pick up four polls in which they reach 2% or greater support. Now, they also need to reach the donor threshold, but that has not been a problem for most candidates who have any qualifying polls. Right now, Steyer has three polls, Gabbard has two polls, and Williamson has one poll. They will have until precisely 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time on October 1st to pick up their remaining polling results. That's actually not too bad. That gives them a full month between the late August deadline for polls for the September debate and this new deadline for the October debate. Now, we don't have any new qualifying polls yet, but you better believe those will make news when we do. Well, that is it for one more episode of the Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. All right, an update on my recent eight legged visitor. I'm pretty sure I have solved the problem. Pretty sure. So after the show yesterday, I was still sitting at my desk doing some work and suddenly this little tiny spider came zipping out from the direction of the computer. Now, I can't say for sure if this is the same spider or a different one. That second option has me worried because then I start asking, hey, how many of these are there? But anyway, here comes this little teeny tiny friend. Well, everyone, that spider has been smushed. I would have saved it and brought it outside or raised it as a mascot, but, you know, instinct kicked in and my thirst for revenge was also in there somewhere, so I just kind of went for it. And I think I just saved myself, like, literally $1,000 on a screen repair. So I'm doing all right. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow.